turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. When it comes to submitting to authority, that's always a tough one, especially when we get into the marriage, say Ephesians chapters 5 and 6. But what about submission to authority otherwise? Romans 13 has a lot to say. Let's find out. Hi there, and welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace, coming to you from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. You'll find us online at reformedheritage.org. Our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, has us back in Romans. We're in chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, in a message called Submission to Authority, Part 1. Now, this is authority in general. What does God have to say about the authority around us and how we are to be submissive to it? That's what we're exploring today. We invite you to join us as we explore together. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner and today's Abounding Grace. The times in which Jesus lived were extremely volatile. The Romans were the power du jour, the power of the day, and the Jews really chafed under their subjection. There was plenty of talk of revolution. There were plenty of revolutions even undertaken. There were men, there was a group of men known as the Sicarii because they carried these little swords called Sicarii's. And they would weave themselves into crowds and stab the powers that be. And of course, the government's response was surprise, surprise. Stricter laws, suppression of dissent, and the occasional massacre of the rebels or freedom fighters, depending on your perspective. In this time period, exceptions, expectations of the Messiah were very, very strong. But he was misconceived as a deliverer from Roman oppression. So when Christ came and he promised a kingdom based on deliverance from sin and death, not from Roman tyranny, The Jews then played the rebel against their own Christ and crucified him. The Gentiles, of course, to whom this letter was written, they lived in the capital of the world. They lived in Rome. And this was a very dangerous place for Christians. Now, if our understanding of the chronology is correct, and I believe it is, Romans was written somewhere between 54 to 57 A.D., That would have been the first three years of Nero's reign. Nero was still under the tutelage of Seneca before he had him slaughtered. And Seneca wrote a very famous book called The Clementi, on clemency, encouraging rulers to show mercy and forbearance. And the first three years of Nero's reign were so enlightened compared to what it had been in the past, that many people herald this as a new golden age for Rome. 
But of course, the reality of Nero's megalomania quickly became apparent. And his political enemies and the church especially would feel the fire and the sword. And it would be very tempting to think the kingdom of God absolutely demands that we be delivered. That we do something. That we disobey the powers that be. Perhaps even that we take up arms. Men have thought that for centuries. And they have done it. And the results have usually been short-lived and no better than what they spilled their blood to get out from under. And men still think so today. Please remember the seeds of fear and of pride and of discontent and revolution are deeply embedded in the hearts of fallen men. And they have been ever since we took the fruit in disobedience to God. But there is a far more important background to what Paul says here in Romans than the political. The Holy Spirit has taught us through chapter 12, a chapter I must confess has been very, very challenging to me, just personally in terms of practice. But Paul has taught us that we are to be consecrated to God as living sacrifices. And if there were two words that would perhaps summarize chapter 12, it would be faith and love. Faith and love are what we as Christians are to live by. We believe God's promises and we love one another and all men, including our enemies. We are not men and women and young people of fear or hate. And faith and love... We are now going to learn in Romans 13 and really through the end of the letter have to live out in very challenging world in which political injustice, tyranny, suspicion, intrigues are par for the course. We don't walk above these things as Christians. We can't get out of the world's system. We are a part of it. And our faith and love have to be expressed in how we relate to the powers that be. We don't ever need to be deceived. There are those who build the city of man. They are blind. They do not love God. They do not respect his word. They are haunted by God. And they try to build walls and institutions to insulate themselves from his judgments. And how were we to respond to these many gods as Scripture speaks of them? How do we respond to these earthly higher powers, especially when they have moments of wicked clarity, when they realize, wait a minute, the real enemy here is the church. The real enemy here is Christian parents. The real enemy here is those who worship the God of the Bible. So they begin to do a little bit of persecuting. Because there is some sense that the church with its thus saith the Lord is a competing authority. And is really the only earthly institution that can effectively resist tyranny by simply saying we must obey God rather 
than men. What are we to do? Are you ready? This is pretty radical. We are to love them and we are to submit to their authority as long as we are not forced to disobey God. We are not to think that the kingdom of God requires us to rebel against the powers that be or even to speak evil of them or to vilify them. If they give us blows, we must receive them patiently for Christ's sake. We must love our enemies. We must turn the other cheek. We must testify to the reality of God's grace in our lives and use the divinely empowered weapons that we've been told will cast down strongholds, particularly the word of God and prayer. So the gospel spirit, the spirit that made Jesus hearers, for example, when he gave much of his, this teaching in its personal manifestations in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, say, no one ever spoke like this. But I thought we were supposed to knife our enemies in the back. I thought we were supposed to plot and scheme like they're doing against us. I thought we were supposed to, in the political realm, in the government realm, repay evil for evil. I thought we were supposed to assert our rights. And Jesus come along and says, if a soldier tells you to carry his heavy pack one mile, go with him too without being asked. What about my constitutional rights? What about them? Jesus said, my love and grace and gospel are higher than your silly constitutions. <clears throat> You do what I tell you to do. You turn the other cheek. You love your enemies. You forgive insults and offenses. And if they happen to be higher powers, you leave those higher powers gasping over the love and humility of what it is to be a Christian. Beloved, the gospel spirit is completely opposed to the revolutionary spirit, which rebels under subjection, which nurses its wounds and keeps hurts alive forever, keeps track of every wrong suffered and always wanting to avenge itself. That is not us. We are of a different spirit. Our Lord Jesus has told us we are of the spirit. If you'll turn to First Peter 2, we are of the Holy Spirit that enabled us to do just this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For what glory is it, or what credit is it? When you be buffeted for your faults, you should take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even here unto were we called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps who did no sin, neither was guile or cunning deception found in his mouth, who when he is reviled or criticized in an abusive manner, reviled not back. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. It's the same spirit that told Peter, Peter, put up your sword. 
This isn't the time to fight. It is the same spirit that forgave his enemies when they crucified him, even though he is the Lord of glory. You see, we are united to him, and we bear his name in the world. We are called Christians because we are disciples of the Savior, and we are to follow his example. So we may not hate. We may not foment rebellion. We may not avenge ourselves. We may not meet man's wrath with wrath of our own. There may certainly be times when the fifth commandment in defending our lives may call us to take a more physical resistance. But the main way, and I think this is an underlying point that Paul is making here, the main way we overcome evil, particularly the evil of political tyranny, is through doing good, patiently submitting to God's chastening hand and waiting upon him with constant prayer to plead his own name and cause and covenant. Are you praying for this? Turn to Psalm 74 for an example. If we prayed more like this, we would see God probably lift himself up. And when I say pray like this, I don't mean just this week. I mean your whole life. I mean every opportunity to get together and pray with one another. In Psalm 74, Asaph is languishing over the fact that the Lord seems to have forgotten his people. Verse 3, the enemy has come into the sanctuary. God's enemies have set up their banners. So at the end of all of this, what does he pray? Verse 19, deliver not the soul of the turtle dove, thy dear one, unto the multitude of the wicked. Forget not the congregation of thy poor forever. Have respect unto the covenant. For the dark places of the earth are full of the, inhabit the habitations of cruelty. Oh, let not the oppressed return to shame. Let the poor and needy praise thy name. Arise, O God, plead thine own cause. We are a kingdom of priests, and this is what we are supposed to be praying. Have respect unto, under the covenant. Yes, there is a lot of new Calvinism today that's not really Calvinism and barely Christianity at all where there's no place for God's covenant. But God's covenant is the foundation of our confidence and our steadfastness in the Lord so that when we are oppressed or we are suffering or we need forgiveness or we need help in our homes or we need strength to lay down our lives for our wives, men. Or strengthen wives to submit to our husbands. What do we plead? Lord, I deserve it. No. We plead, Lord, remember your covenant. Remember your promises. And here particularly remember your promises to your son. That of the increase of his kingdom, there will never be an end. So arise, O God. And plead your own cause. We think we fight for God. I think it's probably a question. God doesn't ask this obviously. But I'll ask it for him. God often wonders. Well who fights for me? We need to remember. It is the Lord who fights. This is his battle. He is the one who says. I will put enmity. Not us. We were on the other side. 
We had already joined Satan's team. We need to pray earnestly. And when we believe God's promises and believe his word, this will enable us to love our enemies. Pray for them and to do them good. It gives us courage to obey God in the face of their threats. Remember what Peter said before the Sanhedrin. We ought to obey God rather than men. In these verses, I think there are two submissions that are called for. And I want to focus on these this week and uh, the, after the few weeks that I'm gone. A double submission. One is given by direct command. The other is given by a clear example. The direct command is given to us as Christians. We are to submit to the governing authorities, not just outwardly, but inwardly. Fear God, honor the king, says Peter. We are not to study ways to justify rebellion or bring up cases like Ehod to develop theories of resistance. The Lord at that time directly called such men to defend his people against tyranny, but that is very rare today. And God does not speak to men like that today, like he did then. Western governments have supposedly evolved into more enlightened forms that allow for more involvement in political affairs like voting, a free press, activism of various kinds, privileges though they are, these things do not negate God's command to submit and to honor the powers that be. Our involvement must be undertaken with submission, meekness, and love for our enemy. The only time we are freed from submission, and even then, must not be celebrated wildly. But the only time we are freed from it is when obedience to the civil magistrate would require us to disobey God like you can't assemble for worship or you're not permitted to share the gospel or you can't give money to the church to support pastors and missionaries or whatever. We give anyway and we assemble and we share the gospel anyway. We don't give because we get a tax deduction. And if we are told you can't give your children a Christian education, oh well, I'm going to do it anyway. Because in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But not liking a law or a leader or a system does not give us any right to rebel. How do I know that? Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, unless it is in direct contradiction to Scripture and requires me to sin to obey them. But I'm supposed to obey. I'm supposed to submit. If not, God will deal with them. We are not called to fight his battles for him against higher battles. He does that. In fact, Paul told the Roman believers, submit, submit to what is coming with Nero and that is the implication so he tells us to submit to human governments plead with God to have mercy on us and on them and to cause our leaders to bow the knee to Christ do you pray this and if they will not beloved he will deal with them 
in his own way and time. One of the reasons the church is caught up in political revolution is because we have grown ignorant, forgetting that our weapons are more powerful than anything on this planet. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10 that our weapons are mighty to the demolishing of strongholds. The reason that strongholds raised in opposition to Christ are not being abolished is because we are not actively resisting tyranny through the use of the weapons that God has provided for us, like Psalm 74, like giving him no rest until he makes Jerusalem a praise in all of the earth. His church praying day and night, the affectional, fervent prayers of a righteous man. What do those prayers do if we meet together for prayer? Prayer meetings, prayers in our home, praying privately, praying in the morning, praying in the evening, praying at lunch. Those prayers listen. Those prayers rise up as incense. And God throws them back to earth in the form of judgments against his enemies as deliverance for his people. Those prayers are far more effectual than we commonly think is necessary in terms of revolutions. And of course, the blood of the martyrs is far more potent weapon against tyranny than any form of revolution. Now, great care is required here. I don't want to be taken in any way as being indifferent to the plight of martyrs and those who are languishing in other parts of the world. But we need to remember that there is something else besides just this man is in jail for being a Christian. Oh, but that's not fair. Okay, it may not be fair. But we are not called to walk around the earth defending our rights. And Jesus said, you are blessed if you suffer for righteousness' sake. We have confused our Christian duty with our particular form of government. And the two don't always mix. So while we pray for those who have been wrongly imprisoned, while we pray for those who are suffering, we are to fill ourselves as if we are in their place. Hebrews 13 tells us. Do you know of someone who has been imprisoned for the gospel? You're supposed to feel that you are in prison with them. And cry to God just as fervently as you would for your brother or your sister. As if you were in prison with them for preaching the gospel. But on the other hand, remember what else is going on. When wicked men attack God's people, they are attacking the apple of God's eye. And he will lift himself up if we pray and give him no rest day and night. More about this when I come back in the next few weeks. I'm talking about the responsibilities, more of our responsibility to authorities and their responsibilities to us. So let us end in prayer. Father God, we are in people in need of governing because of our sinful nature. And you have called authorities to be under your submission to reign righteously for the good of your people. But throughout history... Civil governments have broken covenant with you and ruled according to their own standards and for their own good. 
Therefore, your people have suffered from their wicked ways. Oh, help us to be strong and courageous when we face this persecution and to remember they are your chosen men and women and we must submit to them as we would you no matter the trials we may face. But we know and have hope and rejoice in the fact that one day you have promised to vindicate yourself and the church and smash the wicked to smithereens. Oh, may that day come soon. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866. 8665607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Mm-hmm.